Dear friends, welcome to another edition of Forum 2000 Online Chats. My name is Jessica Ludwig, and I am Director for Freedom and Democracy at the George W. Bush Institute, based in Dallas, Texas. For our conversation today about the impact of kleptocracy on markets around the world, I'm joined by two guests, Andrea Ngombe, the founder of the Sasufi Collective, a Paris-based organization advocating for democracy, human rights, and anti-corruption in the Republic of Congo and elsewhere in Africa. I'm also joined by John Zemko, who is Regional Director for Latin America and the Caribbean at the Center for International Private Enterprise in Washington, DC. The study of kleptocracy, which means rule by thieves, typically focuses on individuals who steal money from the state for personal gain. But kleptocracy has become a global phenomenon by evolving into a multifaceted practice that distorts how markets function, both at the origin and destination of siphoned funds. This conversation is tied to the paper, Kleptocracy and its Global Impact on Markets and Democracy, which is, was produced by Forum 2000, the Center for International Private Enterprise, and the Raoul Wallenberg Center for Human Rights. It is a result of discussions and exchanges that took place during the 26th Forum 2000 conference in Prague, and is further informed by input and insights shared by experts at each of these three organizations. So I'd first like to start by asking a question of Andrea. Why is kleptocracy a problem that the international community should be so concerned about? Thank you, Jessica. Uh I will reverse your question by saying that uh, Ukraine's invasion by Russia really, and also the usage of uh, the private enterprise called the Dagnat Group in the battleground in Ukraine really directly answer to your question. Kleptocracy is now, not now, it has always been, but now it's really getting momentum as uh, opposing force of the international uh, order, what we call uh, basically the rule of law-based international order. Kleptocracy is that opposing force shaping a new world order based on violence and stealing money and killing and killings. So opposing kleptocracy should be on the forefront of each democracy because at the end of the day, the world order is dismantled by, by, by these negative forces. So it should be and start to be uh, one of the main points on the international agenda for many organizations now. And Andrea, how would you generally describe how kleptocracy works in the globalized era? Why is it something that extends that not only affects the countries mm -hmm. where the money is stolen, but why does it also affect other countries? Because it's, it's peel out. Uh, democracy, uh, kleptocracy does, doesn't have any legitimacy on the intern of, in, in intern of a country. It works with international company, with multilateral, multilateral organization to avoid being condemned. So, by spilling out, it will corrupt at a very uh, uh, natural way to corrupt something. So it will destroy any kind of institution blocking its action. So since on the internal level, they already 
dominate a country, they need to go after any kind of constraints. So first, the democratic institution, then the multilateral institution, and then shaping in a way that will uh, serve the purpose of staying in power for uh, everlasting. So next, I'd like to turn to John because the Center for International Private Enterprise has coined this concept called corrosive capital. Could you tell us a little bit more, John, about what corrosive capital is and what kind of impact it has on markets and democracies? Sure, I'd be delighted. Thank you very much, Jessica. Um, yes, corrosive capital is a term that we coined at SIPE um, to describe the phenomenon of investments that come from authoritarian countries and with the destination of uh, democratic countries, particularly country democratic countries that are um, have weak institutions of democracy or that are just um, launching into building their institution, their democratic institutions, where there can be uh, a corrosive impact on, on how those institutions function. And I was going to point to just three areas that we tried to highlight in the paper that um, the talk that speak to that issue of the impact of crisis capital on democracy. The first I would say is the impact that crisis capital has on undermining what we call democratic concepts of transparency and accountability. Those are hallmarks of, of how dem democracy should function is with openness and transparency. And um, by definition, when uh, capital comes in and avoids those institutions that circumvents that transparency and accountability, then you undermine those sort of democratic um, concepts. Um, second is um, the misuse of public funds um, that comes from kleptocracy. When the public at large sees that large amounts of money are being siphoned off for personal gain by kleptocrats, then they lose faith in the institutions of democracy. And that, at least in the region where I work, you know, in Latin America and the Caribbean, is a huge problem, the lack of faith in, in democratic institutions that these phenomenon um, uh, tend to exacerbate. And then third, I would say um, there's the national security implications of corrosive capital when you know foreign authoritarian um, countries can come in and have free reign at, at, at establishing relations with other kleptocrats in the destination countries for these investments. Then there can be national security implications, particularly when they're entering into communications, um, natural resources and uh, financial institution sectors. So those are just three areas I'd like to, to underline. And John, I'd like to ask you another question, which is what are some of the financial vehicles that kleptocrats use to move captured wealth and state resources into the international financial system and foreign economies? Um, so many um, really fine organizations have really focused on sort of the individual kleptocrat and how kleptocrats as individuals, you know, channel money, you know, oftentimes it's through um, channeling money through through um, offshore banking centers and then find their destinations in Western countries, in real estate markets, in, you know, Europe, in the United States, in Canada, um, find their way into all sorts of you know, money laundering investments. Um, but, you know, real estate's a huge one. So that's that's one avenue. Um, We've tried to point out sort of the, a broader scope of, of, of ways in which um, uh, kleptocratic channels can be formed. And one of the ones we've really tried to emphasize is the standard enterprise structure 
which you find throughout the world. And let me just, I wanted to just give a couple data points that we put it in the paper. You know, one is that when you look globally, 22% of companies worldwide are actually state-owned, many of which are in the oil and gas sector, communications areas where there's a huge amount of, of, of money at stake. Um, another data point we put in the paper was that between 1999 and 2014, 70% of bribes that happened in the public sector involve state-owned enterprise officials. So that that interplay between between heads of state, um, senior public officials, state-owned enterprises, and these large sums of money is a, is a huge, huge conduit. And very few um, companies, very few state-owned companies across the world really are following um, best practice guidelines for how to manage themselves. So it's, um, it's a really um, important area to look at. So those are just a couple of, of, of instruments that I wanted to, to, to point out. Andrea, I'd like to turn back to you for a moment and ask you about another phenomenon that we tend to see, which is ways in which authoritarianism and kleptocracy are intertwined. In, in this globalized era where everyone in the international community is so interconnected, how is it that kleptocrats are able to navigate different forms of pressure that the international community might apply to try to sideline, isolate, or cut off uh, political leaders who are known as being re repressive, um, as well as cut off uh, linked economic entities from the global economy, um, particularly those that, that might be known to have engaged in human rights violations? Yeah. Uh why don't you talk with uh, John to talk about the economical vehicle they use for money. So we can use that uh, metaphor, that image, and apply it to the reputation laundering scheme. So uh, as I already mentioned, that uh, uh, the kleptocratic regime rely on external force to stay in power in various countries. So they buy their way in. So they use the money not just for what people always think, crocodile shoes, fancy mansion. This is just the cherry or, uh, at the top of the cake. The, they use the money as a powerful way to buy their way in democratic society, to corrupt the official and to launder their image using various techniques like the greenwashing. We can also talk about the gender uh, gender image washing every kind of of topic you can think about it a kleptocratic reading will use it as a way to change its image and what i call uh, a lie to uh, a lie a lie to hire so support to hire and they buy people off and then those people become advocate for this kleptocratic regime you also have what we can call a scholar washing. They can also buy scholars to, to write a report that this particular dictator is so powerful that removing him will just call instability. And he is our ally, he is our good neighboring dictator, is with us because he, he stands for the, this kind of uh, of topic about gender. In his parliament, you have 15 women, but nobody will go and really 
see that the 15% women are just uh, daughter of dictators, allies of dictators, and it's not promoting democracy or real gender uh, uh, prom equality, equality promotion. So laundering image is like the twin of the stealing money part. So it works together. It's a two foot of a kleptocratic regime. And to end that topic, you need to understand that a kleptocratic regime can use everything. Even anti-corruption operation can be a corrupted anti-corruption uh, operation. And you have a very recent example in Equatorial Guinea. You have uh, the heir of a throne with one of the son of a local dictator, Theodorin Obiang, launching an anti-corruption campaign against his own brother, who also is in line to take power. So in a way to remove an advers a political adversary, use anti-corruption as a tool to finish imaging, I'm working against corruption, but inside this work against corruption, there is corruption also. So it's really, really perversive and, and corrosive in every sense of the word. John, I'd like to ask you another question that ties, might perhaps tie a little bit of the topic that we were just discussing to what happens when kleptocratic corrosive capital enters into uh, either a middle performing democracy or perhaps another autocracy even. What happens when, when you see illiberal political forces or, and um, you see actors who might be inclined towards illiberal behavior mixing with one another? What's the impact on, on a country when foreign corrosive capital comes in um, in, in that manner? Well, um several things happen. I mean, one is, you know, as I pointed out before, you know, the lack of tran transparency. Um, but one of the other things that happens, um, if you want to talk about uh, market economies and their relationship to democracy, is that when corrosive capital starts flowing in um, unbridled, then you see an undermining of, of capital markets. Um, so those investments come in in a way that, that don't really represent a sort of a fair or competitive market environment. So one of the things that you can see happen is um, that undermining of sort of the competitive market structures that usually are associated with a sort of better use of you know, public funds, you know, because of the competitive nature of, 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 of how markets work. So you see that undermining of, of, um, of that. And then, as I said before, you see that undermining of, of whatever faith that exists in that particular country and the population at large in the fact that democratic institutions are not working you know, in the way that they should, that they aren't supporting those sorts of you know, competitive uh, market environments or you know, good use of public funds. So, so that's where you start seeing that corrosive effect um, of, of, of um, uh, corrosive capital when they enter into markets in that way. You also see the undermining, for example, of you know procurement laws. You know, I mean, there when corrosive capital comes in, we've seen cases, you know, such as you know Argentina, for example, where you know sovereign you know debt arrangements that um, happened between the Argentine government at that time and you know Chinese you know capital that was coming in that they managed to avoid the whole national procurement process, 
by um, tying this into sort of a sovereign debt, you know, arrangement um, that bypassed a lot of the systems that, you know, a country like that would normally have in place. So those are the kinds of things that you see, you know, across of capital having an influence, but it's really quite varied. And um, I agree with Andrea that, um, that these different tools can be combined, you know, in, in the paper, we, we tried to outline, you know, corrosive capital versus, you know, state-owned enterprise corruption and individual kleptocrats. But in fact, all of these things can kind of intertwine as tools for channeling money out of out of the country. And so you really have to look at it in a holistic way. Uh, Jessica. Yes. I can add something, right? Uh, when John talked about corrosive capital and the the distortion of the procurement uh, problem, you can add the climate change problem inside because this money and this bad law on procurement also fuels what is at the bottom of the beginning of the climate change problem uh, when you talk about illegal logging, illegal mining, pollution, uh, 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 oil pollution, bad project the, on uh, natural natural park in in Africa, kind of like the example of Uganda. Uh, these particular problems destroy the environment are are made possible because of the kleptocratic nature of their the, the way they they were put together was already uh, using the kleptocratic tool of SPV or whatever tool they use to whitewash the image of a project. They use all the techniques and tools uh, in place in the kleptocratic regime. So uh, when we talk about climate change now and this problem of uh, destruction of nature, there is a kleptocratic element inside the problem. Thank you, Andrea. So I'd like to wrap up by talking about what can be done about this very complicated challenge. What kinds of safeguards can be put into place to mitigate the potential for corrosive capital to enter a country's market or at least to mitigate its impact once it's there? Uh, maybe I can start first by inviting Andrea to respond. Uh, I would say the disease is already uh, so advanced that we know the tool. UBU registry, uh, Farafal registry, transparency law, but it won't be uh, sufficient unless we made those countries becoming more democratic and the civil society on the ground more organized and supported. So first will be act to make those countries more democratic and rule of law based, but also on the uh, democratic countries sphere, we need to enforce the law that are already there, transparency law about foreign influence inside democratic country. We need to go after them with Magnitsky sanction or all the, the tool we already have, we need to enforce that. And we see that with the, again, the Ukraine invasion by Russia, those tools were made actionable against the Russian autocrat and kleptocrat because of the war. But before the war, the law were already existent, but they were never enforced because people and the people in charge in UK, in Europe, even in US, thought that it was a Russian problem, not an American or European problem that 
the money from the oligarch of Russia were pouring into the market in London, in, in Miami, and wherever. So we need to enforce the law first and then export more democratic value and helping people to get there for democratic value in their own country. John, would you also like to respond? Sure. Um, uh, at SIPE, we very much take a follow the money um, approach to this. And if you sort of backtrack the money trail, um, we think that the best, you know, the best shot at, at being able to curb kleptocracy is try to make sure to the extent that you can that the money doesn't leave the country concerned and doesn't make its way into the international financial system to begin with. So how do you do that? I agree with Andrea that ultimate beneficial ownership is a really powerful tool for identifying, you know, where 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 money is coming from, you know, and who really owns it. And that can be one way to sort of curb it using all the different, you know, laws that, that pertain to that Magnitsky Act and various others to sort of curb that. Um, to the extent that that money is being channeled through state-owned enterprises, then there are all kinds of international standards that can be applied. There are best practices for how state-owned enterprises should be managed and be more transparent. Um, this, these types of standards, for example, the OECD has very good standards, to at least a good starting point for for being able to implement those standards. So to the extent that we can apply international pressure uh, from international organizations to implement those types of, of um, standards, we can have some success. And this is something that we at SIPE have advocated in various international forum, forums, including the G20 forum, as a way of, uh, of, of getting enticing countries into implementing those sorts of standards. And then finally, there's um, investment screening, you know, particularly in corrosive capital, the more you know about where investments are coming from, the more you can control uh, control them and make sure that they apply to best practice standards. Now, investment screening is also an interesting tool because that can have a perverse effect if the investment screening is not set up in the proper way. Because if you set up investment screening in one way, it can actually enforce crony capitalism and sort of insider uh, paths to to getting contracts and 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 investing in countries. So you, it's really important that those standards be um, be designed properly to have their intended impact. John, Andrea, thank you again very much for joining us for our conversation today about the impact of kleptocracy on markets. For our online viewers, you can learn more about these issues by visiting the Forum 2000 website and following them on social media. Thank you.